All right, so next episode of CodeCast, we are in wonderful Aurora slash Naperville podcast on the go. Um, today, we've got one of the, I'd say, top five people that's made the biggest impact in my life. Uh, first and always, always be Christ. But inevitably, when we get down to regular modern day folks, we can deduce the list down to some pretty small people. Um, some of you folks might know him as Jim. Some of them might know him as Jimmy. Um, I always refer to him as all my friends know it, the lessons I learned from Uncle Jim. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we got Jim Effner on the podcast today. Jim, how you doing? I'm doing phenomenal. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things I appreciated about Jim is I met Jim probably, it's probably two years and some change ago in this program that he ran where it talked a lot about self-confidence, how you think about yourself, and just from learning from him, how I think and how I view myself is completely changed for the better. And it's almost a tattoo in my brain to where it's impossible for it to fade away. But before we get into that and kind of talking about it, we always want to know, and all the listeners always want to know, who is the person behind the message? And with Jim, with that being said, you know, we'd love to just learn the story about you. So how you are today, you know, most people weren't born, they're built. So can you just kind of walk us through like what it was like for you like growing up as a kid? Just give us the background, the roots, where you're from. Yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, I would say I have a tremendous amount of clarity in my life today. I'll be 55 in two weeks uh, as to answering that question as I did when I was in the moment, right? Hindsight's 2020. When you reflect back, you get a lot of clarity as to what were the things that added together to make you who you are today. And uh, in looking back at it, clearly one of the impacts on my life, which I think is awesome, I think it's a positive. You could also look at it as a negative, um, is that I was the youngest of five children and I was uh, clearly a mistake. And so all of my older siblings are you know, less than two years apart and they're like boom, 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 boom. And then seven, years and some change later came little Jimmy and so my especially my dad but even my mom by the time I came around they were tired you know they had four kids in less than eight years and uh, they were raising them and they put all their time and effort into that and when I came along I was kind of like an afterthought and they were like you know just don't get in too much trouble and stay out of our hair you know and so I think one of the events in my childhood that has a lot to do with me today and drives me is that I wanted to be somebody, I wanted to be noticed, I wanted my dad to look at me in the same way, in the same light that he looked at my two brothers who really stood on a pedestal to him and I was just kind of like a pain in the ass, little energy bunny that was interrupting his, his life so to speak, but I, I don't say that in a bad way, I mean he was a very loving man, a super, super strong man of faith, but he was tired, you know, and I think he was 39 or 40 when I was born and he was like, oh my gosh, you know, here comes another one, right? Just what I needed. And uh, so I worked hard to get noticed. I worked hard to have his approval. I worked hard to be better than all my siblings at whatever it is I did. And I don't mean that in a way like I compete with them or I judge myself and I have or I have not, but it was a driver, you know, because I wanted to get noticed. So I think that has a lot to do with who I am today. I, I would also say that um, I grew up in a very, very, very strong Christian home. So, you know, I'm a man of faith. A lot of people that I'm in Bible studies with talk about when they, you know, gave their life to Christ, when they became born again, stuff like that. I've always struggled that I don't have that date. 
you know, I was born into a family that was a Christian family. We not only went to church every Sunday, but my dad was an elder. My mom was the, the church nurse and, and secretary. I mean, I was at the church for events, study groups, Sunday school, church, youth groups, um, three days a week, you know what I mean? And uh, the church was a big part of our family. And all of my siblings' faith is very strong. My dad passed away, unfortunately, 20 years ago. My mom's 90 now. She is the strongest faith-based person I probably have ever met. So I think that had a lot to do with molding who I am today. And I'm sure there's more, but those are the two that stand out. Hey, Jim, I was actually unaware of that. You know, I, it lead me to ask the question, too, and I always smile at this, but how much of a competitive advantage do you think having a belief in Christ gives you on a day-to-day -day basis? Well, huge. Um, I would say the reason being is because I know that all the things that most people worry about are trivial in a grand scheme of things. And no matter what mistakes I make because I'm human and I'm a sinner, I'm going to do stupid things. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. But at the end of the day, I'm going to end up in a great place. And I know that. And uh, that gives me great, great peace, great joy, you know, and that allows me to make decisions that I think other people might struggle with because I know where I'm going, you know. No one's, well, no one's perfect. Actually, there was one person who was perfect, but they, yeah. they crucified him. So yeah. that's uh, one of my best friends always tells me I'm just a beggar trying to show the other beggars where the bread's at. Yeah, so, right. There you go. So awesome. Um, now, Jim, most people that would meet you immediately, you can typically tell people that carry a lot of self-confidence, right? When did you start to develop this in life to like understanding like who I, I am, who I am? Like what steps or what things happen to you in life for you to start to gain the confidence that you exhibit now on a day to day basis? I would say, Cody, that it's a, been an evolutionary growth, not a revolutionary, you know, event uh, that, you know, you you have a natural sense of self-confidence based on your environment to a certain degree as a young child that you can't control. God gave me that. My parents gave me that. My siblings gave me that. My friend, I don't know. I just know I had it. But then I built on it through experiences and successes. And the more you achieve and the more accomplishments and the more kind of arrows you can put uh, on, on achievements, the, the better you feel about yourself. And, you know, so that began with me when I was a kid. I was a swimmer and I was a good swimmer. And I set a lot of records at my local country club. I qualified for the Junior Olympics. I swam in the Junior Olympics. And so I had a lot of victories. I had shoeboxes full of blue ribbons, you know, and so people started talking favorably about me. So therefore I started thinking favorably about me, right? And so then I, I was pretty good at youth baseball, but not as good at um, uh, swimming. And then I fell in love with hoops. And, you know, I was uh, honorable mention all state. I was all conference. I was a co-captain of my basketball team at a high school that had 4,000 students. It wasn't small rinky dink, you know, so that gave me confidence. And then my career after college gave me a ton of confidence through my achievements at Northwestern Mutual. I got a lot of accolades. I stood on stage. I got recognized for a lot of things. And so every one of those are notches that those achievements therefore layer in self-confidence and it builds over time. And I hope there's still a lot of room to grow and I'm just getting started. And Jim, I'm assuming at no point you ever, you never second guess yourself at any part of the journey. Oh, that's absolutely not true at all. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm hoping you're saying that and by your body language, I can tell being facetious, but uh, still do today. Did a lot in my 20s and 30s, probably more than I do today. But I have my moments, I have my days. And, um, you know, those, those are, uh, anybody that says they don't isn't human. 
Jim, one of the things I thought about is I'm very blessed to know a lot of people, but nowhere near the scale of people that you know, just the general number and obviously being a few years older than I am. What would you find, or what would you believe to be is the biggest limiting factor when it comes to general society and its lack of self-confidence? Well, I think the biggest one by far, and I don't even think the second one is a close second, is uh, their environment is poor. And uh, the environment that you put yourself in um, has to be consciously chosen uh, with a little bit of intentionality, if not a lot. And you got to choose wisely. And the groups you hang out with, the friends that you have, the things you do, the books you read, the podcasts you listen to, the you know everything impacts your environment. And uh, I think a lot of the people that have a tremendous amount of self-defeated thinking don't have a positive environment in their world. And uh, you know that that's something that you got to be conscious of and build, and uh, you know really be focused on. And I, I've been blessed to have a good environment. I think that's a lot to do with it. And then as you you know excel in your life progressively over time, and this is part of the uh, evolutionary process, if you may, is that as you become more successful, you also become more attractive to other people wanting to have you in their environment. And so it's a double-edged sword, you know, at a young age, if you want to hang out with Elon Musk every day, good luck, you're not going to do it, you know, so it builds progressively over time that is a healthy combination of your own achievements and a conscious awareness of who's in and who's out of your world and your environment. You mentioned a topic that I love talking about, but people take it the wrong way all the time. And it's something that keeps coming up over and over as I film more and more of these episodes is that... I'm curious to know, how many of your friends, let's say your close circle of five, right? Of those five people, how many of those were in your circle 10 years ago? Uh, all five. Really? Yeah. How? So this is typically something that I guess we're kind of doing more of a live conversation. That's something I struggle with because the five closest people I'm friends with now are not the same five closest people I was friends with 10 years ago. Yeah. Like the folks I'm friends with now are way more competitive and more aggressive. But how have you, if your friends just continue to grow with you, or what has been the common trait for you guys to still maintain that friendship? Well, how old are you? I am 29. Okay, so when I was 27 or 28, and you would have asked me that question at 38, I would have said none of them. Hmm. Because I was evolving out of the adolescent, immature friendship group that I was best friends with in college and best friends with my first two or three years in the business that didn't grow the way I grew, and I grew out of them. But now I'm 55, and so 10 years ago I was 45, and my friends all made seven figures when I was 45, and they still do today. They're in my inner circle, so I think that's a process of my age. Um, I would also tell you that I've added new people since I moved to Vegas, for sure, That, but they're not in the inner five yet. I don't know if they'll ever be. These guys that here today I've been with for the 23 years I've lived in this neighborhood. That's hard to replace. Mm. I'm just thinking about how grateful I'd be to be in that position. That's pretty cool. And we're like, you've got the same group that's continued to grow with you over and over. Well, we're so woven together. You know, our wives are best friends. The husbands are my guy best friends. Our kids are all about the same age. Our kids all were raised together. They played on the same ball club, swim teams, dance. You know, there are, our kids are friends with all their kids. And so, you know, Christmas time when we have a party with those five or six or seven couples, the kids are just as good of friends as the parents, you know what I mean? So it's, uh, um, it's interesting, you know, and uh, I, I would tell you that um, 
my kids give me feedback because I'm old school is that they were pretty much raised in a bubble. And when they got into the real world, i.e. first and foremost going away to college, which they all did, and then after college, they see that the world is not anywhere remotely close to mimicking the childhood they had when they grew up, that they had loving parents, they had Christian homes, they had tons of money, they had financial resources, they had you know a neighborhood where other parents cared about them, you know, and, and they thought that was just normal and now they call it like a bubble and they're like, dad, it was, it's not normal, you know. I don't know why I went that. Down no, that path, it actually but. leads me to the next question I wanted to ask you too. So I'm assuming obviously having, the more and more I study having great parents can really dictate the avenue of which your kids go down, right? Yeah. Like we see a lot of great people in the world that do some great things that come from awful backgrounds. Yeah. But that, there's statistical anomalies, right? Yeah. Usually parenting is just studying the psychology behind it is one of the most responsible jobs you could argue that exists in the world. Yeah. And so I'm assuming your kids have a great amount of self-confidence in who they are as well at a young age. Um, various different degrees. Fair. Yeah. And I think a lot of times, so you go away to college and I think you start to open yourself up to the real world where I think there's a sector of people that have true self-confidence and there's a sector of people that have synthetic self-confidence. Yeah. What do you find is the biggest way to tell the difference between the two if someone's actually who they say they are? Well, I think at the end of the day, the only real pro proof in the pudding would be their actions and their behaviors and their achievements, right? And so you meet people that talk a big game and they haven't done squat, you know what I mean? And they're screwed up personally and screwed up financially and screwed up professionally. But if you met them and you talked to them over a cocktail, they'd make you sound like they were the CEO of some high flute and, and they've accomplished the world, you know what right. I mean? And so at the end of the day, I think the proof in the pudding is the achievements and what they've actually done and the behaviors and the actions. Um, that's ultimately gonna be the difference, I think. So you being a parent, I guess if I were to ping my brain the question then of where do you think society is getting it wrong right now in teaching kids self-confidence? Like what is robbing them the most of becoming their best selves? Well, that is an interesting topic, my friend. Um, I have opinions on it, but I, I have strong opinions on it. And I'll share them with you. But I would go as far as saying that they are generational. And I think the majority of people that today are... 45 to 65 would feel exactly like I feel. But I could tell you that if you talk to people in your generation, they might disagree with me. So it's a, it's an opinion, and I'm not a subject matter expert, so let's just say that, okay? And my opinion is that they're too protective of their children. They're not okay with their children failing. Um, they guard them, they rescue them, they feel more of the obligation to create the path so that their kids can be the best they possibly can be. And Lynn and I were okay with our kids failing. And, you know, we didn't always tell them they were the best. I'd go to a ball game and say, you suck today. You know what I mean? And my son might start crying and I'd be like, deal with it. You know what I mean? You sucked. And, uh, you know, or grades. I'd be like, this is unacceptable. You're smarter than this. This is BS. You know, this isn't, this isn't good. And Lynn and I didn't communicate with them in ways every single moment of every single day, like, oh, you're the best, you're the hero. We recognized when they were and we made sure we let them know, but we also let them know the truth and we thought honest feedback 
was important to their development and it wasn't always a comfort zone and a rosy path and you know um, I think today with parents rescuing children and constantly shielding them from defeats and failures um, and rescuing them and preventing them from even being in that situation uh, hurts their development that's just my opinion I can only imagine too when you're the person that's always a savior every single time you're you essentially are robbing your kids of self-accomplishment right I often see that a lot of times going to a private school for college in the city where you had a lot of kids that came from affluent backgrounds and you could tell which parents super sheltered their kids yeah and other ones that let them fail because the kids that are super sheltered yeah inevitably when shit hits the fan because it's going to happen yeah at some point they crumble immediately <laughs> yeah. just cannot handle it and the hard right. part is that life is unforgiving right. it's like once you're out of your own quote-unquote bubble bubble <laughs> world right. does not care right so interesting and, and each one of my kids have had their moments the oldest one, Brittany, who's 26 yesterday, um, has had more than the other two just by age. But I think, you know, you have high expectations, you give real feedback, you let them struggle, you let them fail. But an element of love is that when they're in one of those deep, dark moments, you show empathy, but you don't rescue. You know, so if they're calling me crying and the world's just falling down, I don't say, oh, it's no big deal. That's going to be fine. You know, I'll say, you know, I'm sorry you're feeling the way you're feeling because right now what you're going through sucks. And guess what? It's called life. And guess what? I've been there too, but I love you. Anything I can do to help, I'm here for you. But, you know, you're going you're gonna to have to get out of this. And you're going to have to deal with it. And it's not going to be the first time, and it's not going to be the last time. Right. You know? um, so it's a combination. And by the way, as you ask me these parenting questions, another caveat is I am not saying Lynn and I did a great job. You know, I'm sure we made a lot of stupid mistakes and we're far from perfect. So I don't mean to come across like, hey, parent your children like I did because I know how to do it. I, I, I don't, you know, I just, <clears throat> I, I, I don't. That just is what it is. And so it's almost, I guess, if we create the transitionary period of, of the P2P group that you created, it's almost inevitably like you become a parent to some of us. Right, a lot of young folks, like guys and girls, that basically come to learn from you a lot of things that we might not have learned from our own parents just because it's not things you might have known. What sparked the idea, if you can just share with the listeners, what sparked the idea to say, like, hey, could have just kicked back, hung out, but to say, hey, I'm going to go back in the sewer of life to start something completely brand new at a later on age than most people would have said, like, it's too late for me to start something new or reinvent. Can you just walk us through the spark and then getting the plane off the ground of P2P? Yeah, um, I, I think I got really, 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 really clear on what really mattered to me in my life. And I was able to put uh, financial success and ego on the sidelines on the direct correlation of belief I had in myself of what I could do. And at the end of the day, I valued and put way higher that I was gonna be, no matter what, I was gonna be fulfilled, I was gonna be happy, um, and I was going to be effective regardless of what it worked out to be financially. And that if the opposite of were to happen, I could have taken another job with another company and I could have been financially enormously successful and miserable. And I did not want that. How hard was it to turn away the bait, quote unquote, of an opportunity like that? Well, you know, I would tell you that you would get a dramatically different answer if my wife Lynn was here. Um, because she thought I was crazy and she was really scared and um, but I was so connected to my purpose and to my belief in my ability to pull it off 
I just looked at her and said, don't worry, I'm gonna make this work. Failure's not an option. I got your back and this is gonna be great. And I'm gonna make it great. And the weight of the world was not on the decision because the decision is the decision. I'm gonna start my own company. The weight of the world was on making that decision for the rest of my professional life, the right one. And we're still in that process today, you know? And so um, it's worked above and beyond what I imagined, but there's still been a lot of stumbling points along the way. There's still a lot of creeks in it and uh, there's still a long ways to go. So if I could ask the question then, is that starting a P2P group the hardest thing you've ever had to overcome? No, I'd say at 22 years old, starting this business was the hardest thing. That sucked. That was hard. You know? I was, I figured it'd be a couple of different things you could have said, and I'm surprised it's that one. So, and, and I had a lot of success, as you know. Yeah. You know, I was rookie of the year. I made MDRT. I stood up on the stage for the company bronze. I wanted to quit the business 25 times. I wanted to punch a hole in the wall. I wanted to kick the dog. I was never happy. I was miserable. I was like, it was hard. And that's weekly, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was hard. It was really hard. And so we've got PDP group going right now. And, and let me just say one other thing. Yeah. When I started P2P, the reason I don't think I put it in the category of the hardest thing I've ever done, not to say that it was easy, but I already had the skill set. I already had the background. I already had the resume. I was already a proven commodity. Like I am one of the, I'm not good at a lot of things, but I am one of the best in this space and my track record proves it. So now I'm just gonna monetize it. When I was 22 years old, I didn't know I was any good. I didn't have anything to go back, back you know what I mean? When I started P2P, I had the confidence, like, I can do this. I'm good at this. Yeah. Now it's just making it work, you know. I often ponder this, too, and I talk to a lot of my friends about it that have, like, started the business from the ground up. But is there ever any point that you kind of miss the early stage, like the absolute terror and fear waking up in the morning? No, I don't miss that at all. I had that as a rep. I had that as an MP. I've only done it once. I haven't had to do it twice, so I yeah, guess it's fair. Yeah. I don't like that feeling. Yeah. <laughs> it's a whole different world. Yeah, well, you're working on defense and you're working on your heels. You know what I mean? That's never productive. When you're scared and you're freaking out and you're stressed and you're anxious, uh, that's not healthy. If you were to think about it, though, you accomplishing that, how often can you re-reference that in your brain to say, well, this isn't as hard as having to do that? Um... I wouldn't say every day, but often, you know, it, it's a way that I reflect about, am I happy right now? You know what I mean? Am I happy? Am I doing what I love doing? Am I doing what I'm really good at? Am I doing it with people I enjoy doing it with? And every now and then I find myself making poor decisions based on finances and based on growth, where after I do a gig, I'm like, why did I do this? This isn't, I don't enjoy this. And I made a poor decision. And I, I'm trying to be coveted of that, but I'm not perfect. But you still persist. Totally. Of course. Yeah, the journey is never going to stop. No way. What I'm referring to more specifically is I take on a client that wants to pay me very good money with a group of reps that aren't into growing and they're a pain in the ass and they don't do what I say. They're not coachable. Um, I feel like I'm teaching remedial skills. They're, they're not at my level or close to it. I'm bored in the group. I'm frustrated. Kelly's frustrated. And I'm like, why the hell did I take this job on? Yeah. Well, because they're going to give me a check for 75 grand for three days of work. You know what I mean? Right. And I, I, I don't want to do that. 
but I'm human and every once in a while I do. You mentioned that it's never over, right? Like the journey persists. Right. I always think about, Jim, what if you knew your next meeting you were going to go into was the last one you ever got to do? I would like to say, I don't know if I'm right, but no different than what I do in every meeting right now. Because I feel that every meeting I'm in, at that moment, I'm leaving it on the field. And if there's something that I could do better or more or deeper or more effective, why do I got to wait until it's my last meeting? That should be every meeting. Yeah. So I think I have that mentality to every meeting. Now, do I? I don't know. Only the people that I'm doing it with would be a judge. I just spoke to a large group at Mass Mutual this morning, and uh, I felt like I was present and you know I brought my A game and I left it on the field you know and if I don't feel that way at the end of every meeting I that's not good I guess what would motivate you more right now would you say it's getting the growth of P2P continuing to move forward or just the ability to play the game another time like getting to show up again and again and again which one's bringing more joy oh boy um there's a lot of fulfillment and enjoyment when I'm doing what I love to do, which is teaching and training and speaking. And so the equivalency of a musician is the love and the passion to play the piano and sing. I want to keep doing that because whenever I'm playing the piano and singing, I'm really fulfilled because that's what I love doing. And so when I'm teaching, I'm fulfilled. I have a lot of enjoyment. I want to do more of it. That drives me. I also have a big vision for P2P, and it's nowhere near where it's going to be three, five, ten years from now. And the overall achievement and the chase of that dream for not only me, but for the people on my team and future people that I'll add, that drives me as well because I'm very achievement driven and I'm very competitive and I want to see what I can build. And I'm proud of the fact that this P2P was nothing but an inkling, small little dot thought in my head and I've turned it into a substantial seven figure company and we're just getting started. And so I, I want whenever it is that I hang up, if I ever do, I want this to be huge and I want to look back and say, yeah, I did something big. Very few people have that on their resume. That drives me. And the other thing I would add to that, Cody, that is more so now by far than ever in my life is the psychological income I get by the impact of the people that I had. So for you to open Ooh. up this podcast with what you said that I'm one of the top five people that's had an impact on your life that's why I do what I do that's worth way more than money the other day you know um this is a whole nother topic but you know I'm very public about this I got fired from Northwestern Mutual they said you're no good for us anymore you're gone right and uh so there's some there's some wounds there that I didn't do my real potential that I didn't fulfill that that I feel like I left that part stage of my life unfulfilled, that it didn't work, that I failed, you know, and every now and then, you know, I get something. And so uh, last Thursday, I got a text from my old agency, from a guy that I haven't heard from since I left six and a half years ago. And the text was him spelling out in a detailed long paragraph the impact I had in his life and the level of appreciation and how important it was for him to tell me that. And that just made me understand that even though maybe Northwestern thought I failed, the people in that organization didn't, and I still had impact on a lot of those people. And so having impact on people and giving them a more abundant life that I could play a small part in also is a tremendous fulfillment. If your dad was still around, how excited would you be to show him what you built? Oh my God, oh my God. 
you know, my son plays football for Penn State. More so for my son than for me. My dad was a huge, huge sports guy. For him to see, know, and even be at the games and tell all of his buddies playing bridge, my grandson starts for Penn State football. Oh, my, my dad would have been, he would have died and gone to heaven. Secondarily, though, I also would have liked him to see this house, my lake house, my Vegas house, and live vicariously through the success that I had because I lost him 21 years ago. Mm. And uh, I had just been appointed a managing partner, so he saw my stage presence as a rep. So he knew I was on a good trajectory. He was proud, but never to the level of what I've built now. And if he could come back today and see what I've built, um, I would not want that for me. I would want that for him, you know? Jim, I'd be curious to know then, how do you see yourself now versus how you saw yourself five years ago? Like when you look at yourself in the mirror, what do you see differently now than you did five years prior? Well, let's go 10 years because five years ago I was still running P2P because it's six and a half years old. Fair. So back if you go 10 years ago when I was an MP, I didn't see myself in a bright light. Um, one of the biggest circles I had is when I was a rep and I went to any Northwestern Mutual meeting, I had the most or close to the most ribbons. Uh, people were like, oh my gosh, there's Jim Efner, you know. I was on stage, I was recognized, I had a great reputation and that's the space I like to fly in because of the ego that I have. It's just a fact, right? And then when I became a managing partner and I went to the managing partner conferences, everybody there knew I was on alert. Everybody there knew I wasn't doing a very good job. Everybody there knew blah, 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 blah. And that, that really ate at me. And because I'm human, it started to impact the way I saw myself, you know, and um, it wasn't healthy. And now um, I see myself in a completely different light today. And that has a lot to do with the success that I have. I think, you know, not to let the cat completely out of the bag or whatever saying it is. Um, We'll give the snippet there. I think, you know, I can only describe, and obviously as you guys here listening to this too. Actually, no, hold on. This is my podcast. I get to do what I want. Um, you, you have an interesting thing too that like I have to, I've first I used to struggle with, then now I don't. But you mentioned the topic of ego. Can you just describe, because I've never been able to articulate this. I know it inside me, but I can't always describe it, but how ego relates into self-confidence. Um... I think a lot, <laughs> but you know, there are obviously many people that have come across the path of the life of Jim Efner that would view it as cocky um, and a turnoff. Uh, I think the art is having a healthy ego that allows you to have huge expectations and demand what you want in your life, but yet show appreciation and love for others and balance it with the appropriate amount of empathy and listening and caring and not turn it into narcissism you know and so there's a fine line you know Donald Trump's got a huge ego and he's a narcissist piece of crap you know what I mean so um, ego can be really 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 unhealthy and so it has to be controlled through a sound value system of a genuine care for other people have you ever met someone that's got massive self-confidence and zero ego yeah they're usually ministers and pastors Fair. yeah outside of that um, yeah, but I think it's a play. I think it's an act. 
you would be with them and, and uh, they would make you feel like everything's about you and they're so gifted at that. But you know there's no way they'd be making seven, some of them eight figures if they didn't have an ego. But they come across so humble and so kind. But inside, they're, they got a ball of fire that's unbelievable and they just have a gift to be able to mask it, you know what I mean, in a way that's attractive. Fair. So it's one of my favorite things to do is compete against anybody who's a high performer because you know they're the most competitive people you'll play with. Mm -hmm. Jim, in closing, well, one thing too I just want to plug here. So uh, Jim's got a book out. Jim, the title of that book is? Uh, Bridge Your Gap. Bridge Your Gap. Great book. Uh, highly recommend purchasing it. It is on my bookshelf. Jim, where, I guess I got it from you directly, so I don't know where to direct people to buy the book. Well, you can go to um, uh, Amazon. Or you can also go to our webpage, which is just jimefner.com. That's our free webpage. Our subscription virtual academy is at p2p-academy.com. And both of those webpages, I think all your listeners would find to be very helpful. And so in closing with that, that's just a, a small snippet of just information I've gotten over the you know several years I've gotten to know Jim now. If you are in the line of work that I'm in, obviously we never discuss finance stuff here on the podcast because I don't I think there's enough white guys with glasses talking about finance in the world but if you are in that world like the many of our listeners are and you're pondering should I be a p2p person if any way shape in or forth I am a disciple of that group I'm nobody special I've got a learning disability but the proof is in the numbers and the numbers are pretty good I'll leave it at that for you to make your own decision I just hope you make the right one Jim, in closing, one thing people always ask, and I I don't like doing it, but I guess it's helpful, and if it helps somebody, fine. If you can give one piece of advice to the people listening right now, what piece of general advice would you give them about life? Oh, man. Well, let's put faith aside, okay? Because ultimately, getting that in line and screwing everything up is still a victory. And screwing that up and getting everything right is a failure. So stay focused on your faith. That's an easy one, right? Um, other than that, it would be to, and I don't want to sound like Jim Valvano here, but you know, never, ever, ever, ever give up. It's never too late. Really, really, really spend as much time as you can consciously trying to create your future by design, not by default. Articulate the vision for what it is that you have believe in yourself and then spend the rest of your life going after and getting it and not letting up and not letting the outside world influence how you feel and having a dead set determination that this is where my life's going to be and I'm going to get there and you know there's going to be hiccups along the way and that's life but it's not going to be a barricade and it's not going to prevent me from getting to where I want to go having a mindset like that allows you to live your life by design in an abundant fashion and uh, I think have the most serenity and peace and fulfillment. And then, you know, last but not least behind faith is family. Family's everything. You know, the old saying says you're only as happy as your least happiest child. I mean, our three kids mean the world to Lynn and I. And, uh, you know, staying focused on family values and a healthy marriage and great relationships with your children. And someday I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm not rushing it, but someday, God willing, I'm going to have grandchildren. And I want to have a great relationship with them because family is, is everything. So those would be the things I would say in closing. Thanks, Jim. Well, it's been fun. 
Uh, hope you guys found this to be as impactful as I have. And as we always say to the next us, being the best in us. Thanks, Jim. So do 